Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, Liquidware, and Policy Pack Software. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have them to thank. And now let's get into some news. A survey by irishjobs.ie shared this week disclosed that 44% of people currently working from home in Ireland find they are working longer hours than they would in a normal workday. Of those working longer hours, 21% find that they cannot switch off from work. 12% feel that they are working less efficiently and 11% claim to have a heavier workload than usual. The survey also revealed that 51% of employees find that they are interrupted during their working day by family members, while 22% are dividing their time between a job and homeschooling their children. 21% claim that daily chores such as laundry and their washing machine proved disruptive, causing a distraction during the working day. Sadly, almost half of employees choose their kitchen table as their designated workspace, followed by a home office at 20% or a spare room at 14%. When asked if they missed their usual working environment, 79% of employees surveyed stated that they did. Socializing with work colleagues ranked as the main reason for 89%. Other reasons for missing the usual working environment included working at a proper desk, as voted on by 62%, or missing the facilities available within the workplace, voted on by 25%. And it's kind of a given. I mean, if you go home to work and you're using the kitchen table, that's less than ideal. Not good for your physical health, and it's probably not good for your mental health working like that. While some are struggling with the change, which is completely understandable, it's best that we all accept it and learn how to make it work for us. Nationwide, the insurance and investments company in the United States have announced they intend a permanent change making the majority of their workforce remote. Some will continue working from the office in four main corporate campuses, but others will be working from home in the majority of other locations. The four main campus locations includes their office in Central Ohio, offices in Des Moines, Iowa, Scottsdale, Arizona, and San Antonio, Texas. The company plans to exit most buildings outside of those four designated campuses by November 1, 2020, and move those employees to remote. And that includes locations such as Gainesville, Florida, Harleysville, Pennsylvania, Raleigh, North Carolina, Wausau, Wisconsin, and Richmond, Virginia. Barclays, the banking firm, has announced a change to its location strategy too. It said they are reevaluating how much office space is needed, and it was said that now things are being run by staff working from their kitchens, which lines up with those survey results since almost half of employees were working from their kitchen table. But underlining that, I'd imagine it's clear to see for most employers that the technology exists to enable this remote work, There's significant cost savings related to allowing your employees to work remotely. There are some upsides for staff morale, even though it's tough to measure right now because of the actual pandemic and the restrictions in place. But if those were not in place and people were working remote, they may be a little bit happier and you might be able to have some creative ways to get staff to socialize 
and to not miss that aspect of the office a bit better, but it's difficult under the current circumstances. And speaking of remote work, before I get off the topic, Trevor Tai shared an article this week documenting some of his remote work support efforts around setting up and working with OpenVPN. I personally had a lot of challenges with OpenVPN when I was using it, but it's a very good cost-effective way to get VPN for remote access. It's worth checking out this article, and I particularly encourage those small organizations which actually make up over half of Ireland's entire workforce. Most people work for a company with 50 or less employees, and I'm sure it's the same for many developed and developing countries. Where cost might be an issue, setting up a VPN with OpenVPN may be a really good solution. And sticking with the topic of VPN very quickly, Michael Niehaus from Microsoft shared a blog post on setting up Server 2019 for VPN along with MPS for MFA authentication. It's a very in-depth blog post and in the post and the title, it gave me a little bit of confidence in myself because I realized someone like Mr. Niehaus deals with the same struggles as me. He titled his blog, My Guide to Setting Up Windows Server 2019 for VPN, and in parentheses, with no guarantees that it will work. And if you read into it, he suggested he had some quirkiness in his setup. So if he struggles with it, I'm not going to feel too bad if I struggle with it. Both of these articles are definitely worth a look and easily could have been featured as some of the tips for this week. But I figured both were in line with the work from home stories this week, and I figured to include them in this section. If you'd like links to those articles and anything I cover on this episode of the podcast, just go to 5bytespodcast.com. You'll find that under reference links for episode 122. And a little bit remote work and remote access oriented, Windows Virtual Desktop has seen a huge spike in demand, and just this week, it got a pretty significant upgrade. In an accompanying article from Microsoft detailing new features, they discuss the many benefits of said features that appear this week. Now, the majority from what I can see are products integrating with WVD, like Microsoft Endpoint Manager for helping to deploy and manage application deployments as one example of what it can do. There's also going to be the upcoming support for Microsoft Teams, which is obviously very in right now. There were the recent Azure AD and licensing changes that I talked about, I think, on two or three episodes ago, the podcast, which WVD customers or users will now benefit from as they can now use Azure AD single sign-on with as many cloud applications as they like across all pricing tiers, including the Azure AD free. Most notable for me is the fact there's now a relatively good management console for creating your host pools, images, and everything else you require for WVD. The lack of a decent console in the past is a big reason why I opted to use products like CloudJumper. Obviously, you still benefit greatly with CloudJumper, and I'll continue to use it since it does so much more, but it's good to see that Microsoft's native tooling is at least getting better. There are also changes to data storage, some of which is significant enough to have led to the solution becoming HIPAA compliant. So healthcare providers will now be able to entertain WVD as a solution. Also getting a mention in the WVD features was something that was listed as an edge feature in a recent blog post by the Microsoft Edge development team. And that is the ability to switch between Edge profiles. 
which is kind of similar to Google Chrome, how you can have multiple profiles and switch between them. And this means you can keep your personal bookmarks and browser settings separate to your work, for example, if you're using Edge in an enterprise environment. And obviously gives you the ability to sync across various machines so you're always getting your settings no matter what machine you're using. Version 20.04 of FS Logics has now been released. It features a lot of fixes. Unfortunately for me at least, I have found the product has suffered from reliability issues since the Microsoft acquisition. I hope the product stabilizes with this release, and in fairness over the last few releases there's been a significant number of fixes, and that continues, so hopefully it does stabilize. And speaking of FSLogix, Ivanti have released Workspace version 10.4.40, which brings support for managing FSLogix profile containers. There was a really interesting acquisition this week. NetApp have acquired CloudJumper, who for my money provide an excellent product for helping to set up and manage your Windows Virtual Desktop and also just to support desktop as a service or virtual desktops across various different cloud platforms. I think this makes a lot of sense for NetApp. One of the integral parts of WVD is application management and user profile and data management, which by design requires storage. And one of the best storage solutions in Azure is NetApp Files. I feel it would be in NetApp's interest to help customers get to WVD and in turn get them to consume their cloud storage solution too. There were no details pertaining to the valuation and how much NetApp spent to acquire CloudJumper or any real nitty gritty details of the deal that I could find online. But I'd like to offer a congratulations to all of the great people at CloudJumper some of whom I've actually had the pleasure of working with directly. That includes JD, Drew, Ryan, Mitch, Doug, Robin, Brad, and the entire team. The Microsoft Sys internal tools, including Sysmon, Core Info, Process Explorer, and LiveKD have just gotten new versions posted. If you use these tools, it's time to download the latest and greatest. This week, Citrix announced they are now offering a remote PC to additional Citrix Virtual Desktop services, including Citrix Virtual Desktops Essentials and Citrix Virtual Desktop Service. This is their excellent solution for allowing people to remote into their workstation back in the office while at home through a Citrix session. It works incredibly well and is so simple thanks to the desktop already having all of their apps and files that the user requires on them. It doesn't mean you have to try and wedge in applications and get a profile management solution in place for your remote workers in a pinch in this pandemic if you are not in a position to. It might be quicker just to enable them to remote into their desktop back in the office. Personally, I feel it's certainly a better solution than sending them home with a VPN. Also, coupling it with Citrix Cloud could mean not requiring a full Citrix farm in order to utilize it. You could just set up the VDA on your workstations and have them broker through the cloud, which would be awesome. Microsoft Teams now supports 50 concurrent meetings per tenant and has extended the duration limit to 16 hours. There has been other changes like audio streaming, background customization possibilities, and more. 
This is certainly a time to stand up and be counted for Microsoft Teams, particularly with the security holes in Zoom, which became instantly very popular. Unfortunately, a vulnerability has also been disclosed in Teams, which allowed an attacker to take over your account. The attacker could inject malicious code into a GIF, which they can send by leveraging misconfigured DNS to, to get in in order to send the GIF. The culprit GIF was a Donald Duck little clip. The attacker could send the GIF and then delete, and then you would have been compromised without ever knowing it because you wouldn't have even seen it. The CyberArch research team who discovered the issue worked with Microsoft and the mitigations have already been completed. In a really interesting story, according to a ZDNet article, the Shade ransomware gang have published more than 750,000 decryption keys on GitHub. Kaspersky apparently is working on a decryption app to help those affected get the decryption key they need. The gang published an apology that included the sentence, quote, We apologize to all the victims of the Trojan and hope that the keys we published will help them to recover their data, end quote. It's pretty interesting to see all of a sudden they're showing such remorse. It's one of the oldest strains of ransomware and originated back in 2014. So 750,000 decryption keys. That was a pretty widely deployed attack. It'd be interesting to know what their motives are for shutting it down at the end of last year and now providing decryption keys on GitHub. Good job by Kaspersky for stepping up and working on a decryption app. PDQ version 19.0.40.0 has been released, which brings the new PowerShell scanner feature, which allows customers to store pretty much any data that they can retrieve using PowerShell. PDQ have also shared a repository of PowerShell scripts to help get customers started with the feature. Also in this release, you can now reorder one-time application deployments. So I try not to cover stocks too much, but I noticed something really interesting this week. F5 Network saw a one-day surge that increased their stock price by a massive 9%. Maybe some of the factors is that they reported strong Q2 performance, and while there has been some negative impact to them due to COVID-19, there's also been some gains with certain products due to the nature and demand for remote work. So next, I want to cover some quick hits relating to third-party vendor patches for April, which includes Adobe have announced that Adobe Illustrator, Bridge, and Magneto have multiple vulnerabilities, ranging in severity up to a pretty high severity, as there are some in there that could allow remote code execution. It feels like now more than ever, these remote code executions, these zero days, are pretty much present every single month. And it's a further indication that you should stay current with patching. Sophos has disclosed a SQL injection vulnerability in their XG firewall product. Unfortunately, about a week ago, Sophos became aware of attacks in the wild utilizing the vulnerability, and they quickly acted to get a patch published. Interestingly, the fix itself will also let you know if your data was compromised. So if you use the XG firewall product, get patching, and check out the console to see if your data has been compromised. Cisco also got in the action with a vulnerability that affects their SD-WAN product 
and affects several routers running the software, including both 1000 series aggregation and integrated services routers, 4000 series service routers, and cloud services routers, 1000V series. This vulnerability is related to an input validation security hole, which can be manipulated. So again, patch. Google have now provided the ability to enroll Windows 10 devices through the G Suite. Until now, customers could only use G Suite to manage corporate endpoints that could enroll Android, iOS, Chrome, and Jamboard devices. Now you'll be able to log into Windows 10 systems using a Google account, control Windows 10 update rules, enable BitLocker encryption remotely, change Windows 10 settings remotely, wipe or remove corporate data from a device, and sign users out of their Google account on a Windows 10 device plus more. According to a ZDNet article, Google has been working on supporting Windows 10 devices on G Suite for almost two years. The program launched a beta in January of this year. Windows 10 support is now generally available for G Suite Enterprise, G Suite Enterprise for Education, and Cloud Identity Premium customers. Before enrolling Windows 10 devices into G Suite, system administrators will first have to install the Google Credential Provider for Windows app on their fleet of Windows 10 systems. The app adds Google as an approved login provider for Windows 10. Epic Systems, who make a very widely used electronic health record product, are said to have tapped San Francisco-based communications tech startup Twilio to provide the video communication backend for Epic's new telehealth platform, according to an article from Healthcare IT News. Healthcare providers and tech leaders alike are investing heavily in telehealth solutions as a means of keeping patients and caregivers safe while still providing essential services during the pandemic. It's not necessarily something that's brand new. A lot of physicians have been doing it before this pandemic, but obviously with the way things are, there's been a significant increase and a demand for this telehealth type solution. So if you work at an Epic customer in their IT, expect to be supporting telehealth if you don't already. Unfortunately, E2E VC Madrid has now officially been cancelled. It was inevitable. It's taking place in June and Madrid was very badly affected so far by COVID-19. In the logistics email, it has been suggested that the next future event in November will either be in Lisbon, Portugal or Athens, Greece. And we can all have our say in which one gets picked. So if you feel strongly for one over the other, make your voice heard. Microsoft Build 2020 is going remote this year, which means it's free to attend, which is a good thing at least, and registration is open now. The event will begin to stream on May 19th. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Kick-ass community contributor Thorsten this week provided a great one-liner for listing all devices that appear in Device Manager. If you're listening to the audio-only version of the podcast, you can check out the YouTube version to see a copy of what that one-liner is. Or alternatively, as suggested earlier, you could just go to 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 122. You will find a link to Thorsten's tweet that contains the one-liner. Nice, simple, and effective. 
Guy Leach has shared a script for retrieving the PVS disk write cache size from a target device using PowerShell. Another handy one. Not to brag, but I have control up so I can get that through the console. Thank you very much. Jim Moyle also shared a really handy PowerShell commandlet that allows you to check where your WVD control pane site is running from. HowToGeek.com shared their top 10 registry hacks for Windows 10. Some which are pretty widely known, like things like just removing Bing from the search bar and removing OneDrive from File Explorer, and others I wasn't really aware of, like the ability to enable um, the showing of seconds in the clock that's displayed in the tray. I'm not sure I'd want to do that, but I didn't know that existed, so that's pretty cool. And there's a few other little nuggets in there too. Ronnie Flathers shared a script which scrapes data from all 1,420 official LDAP attributes for Active Directory into JSON format, including IDs and GUIDs. So if you want to take an entire dump of your Active Directory, all the attributes, and dump it into JSON, Ronnie's got you covered. DS Streifkirk on GitHub shared a PowerShell script that gets a list of AD computers that were created by regular users who are exercising their default right to create up to 10 computer accounts in an AD domain. So that's a pretty interesting one for security auditing purposes. And I think every organization I've worked in, there have been some users or some departments that went to the next desktop operating system before there was an official uh, company image. So that could be useful for finding that type of activity. And finally, Casper Johansson published a really in-depth article about deploying and supporting Microsoft Teams in Citrix virtual apps and desktops. I really like that Casper utilized Citrix WEM, which is something I've been trying to do more and more in my own environment. So if you're a Citrix customer and you're trying to support Teams right now, which I think a lot of us are, you want to check out this article. And that's it for another week. Thank you all so much for listening.